In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A family had twin girls whose only resemblance to each other was their looks. If one felt it was too hot, the other thought that it was too cold. If one said the TV was on too loud, the other claimed that the volume needed to be turned up. Opposite in every way, one was an eternal optimist, the other a doom and gloom pessimist. So just to see what would happen on the twins' birthday, their father loaded the pessimist room with every imaginable toy and game. The optimist room, he loaded with horse manure. That night, the father passed by the pessimist room and found her sitting amid her new gifts, crying bitterly. Why are you crying, the father asked. My friends will be jealous. I'll have to read all these instructions before I can do anything with this stuff. I'll constantly need batteries and my toys will eventually get broken and I'll lose parts and it's going to be miserable. Passing the optimist's room, the father found her dancing for joy in the pile of manure. What are you so happy about? He asked. To which she replied, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> Sorry for the choir. It's heard that three or four times now. <laughs> Isn't it much easier to be that first sister? It's a lot easier. I'm struck in the gospel when the men in dazzling clothes respond to the very first evangelists in all of the New Testament Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and a few others that we don't gather their name in this gospel. And they respond with this phrase, why do you look for living among the dead? Why do you look for living among the dead? I'm struck this Easter with just how profound this statement really is. I mean, of course, they would be looking among the dead. Of course, they had just watched the weight of the world come collapsing down on a person they had truly loved. And by virtue of that love, their own lives as well. Of course, they were looking among the dead. That's the way the world has always worked. They knew the same wisdom that we have been taught that is, everything in our earthly existence is temporary. So it's not surprising that the women go to a tomb to find the body of a person they loved. It's predictable, expected. This week I've been fascinated by the response that everyone has seemed to have, at least in social media and the news with, with Notre Dame, most of the time when I get on my social media account, there seems to be some sense of order to the, what people share. There's people lamenting about politicians, and then there are people that are lamenting about people lamenting about those same politicians. 
Sometimes there are pictures of family members and friends and cute pictures of babies or a posting of a church activity. Then there's someone posting a picture of the meal they've just cooked or consumed. And usually there's a meme or two that I have no idea what on God's name they're talking about. It's predictable and orderly. And then something crazy happens. A fragile star or celebrity's life ends too early. Or a building that has inspired generations for nearly a thousand years begins to burn. And people's interest in connection changes. And for a moment it captures the attention of everyone. And so I was struck this week as more people than I would ever have imagined began to, to comment on this cathedral and showing pictures from honeymoons or family vacations with Notre Dame in the background. And it's just, it's baffled me and I've been asking that question, why? Why are people so moved by um, a space that has been the backdrop to a family picture? And the best answer that I can come up with is that a nearly thousand-year-old cathedral defies the norms of what we are conditioned to believe, that is, that everything is temporary. We know why Mary and Joanna and, and Mary the mother of James show up at the tomb. They show up because conventional wisdom tells them their loved one would be in the tomb. And while Jesus' earthly life of 33 years was tragically too short, we all know that life is fragile and delicate, and we're reminded of that on a daily basis. And so a, a building that exists for a thousand years and has a way of interesting all of us, it defies that. And it begins to tempt us into believing that immortality and eternity exist in this physical structure that we capture timelessness in a physical way. We gather here to talk about eternity, but buildings tempt us to think about that in a physical way, if that makes sense. And so when we witness something that defies our earthly understanding, being reduced to what all else is reduced to, it breaks us open. It embodies the truth that we want to deny. That is, to dust we shall return. Now, if y'all have been following the news and social media, you may have seen the picture that I want to describe. It's the arresting picture from inside the cathedral. Um, in the back of the cathedral, there's a cross that hangs behind the altar similar to ours. It is a golden cross. And today, it is perfectly intact, unblemished, and it was glistening in the interior remains of the cathedral. There in the midst of darkness and chaos, loss and grief, rising above the embers is the cross reflecting light and casting an eternal hope that nothing can destroy. The cross rising above the ashes is a reminder that in the end, when all else has come crashing down, Love is still emerging. When the bricks and stones fall, God is not only present, but rising above. That, my friends, is why we are gathered here this morning.
Because in the midst of the most unfathomable loss of a precious child, a friend, a son in Jesus Christ, and as I learned maybe 30 minutes ago, many hundred lives in Sri Lanka. In tragedy, God has fundamentally changed our conventional wisdom that teaches us that everything is temporary. Instead, we find eternity and sacrifice in love. We witness the power of love to break through despair. And 2,000 years later, that same law, love draws us together in community and draws millions of others throughout the world together, proclaiming that same unconventional wisdom. That is, love is greater than power. That sacrifice is greater than domination. And in the midst of death, God is rising above. The challenge of Easter is to change where we are looking and to learn to see life in mystery and hope in new places, just as Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James and the other women had their vision reoriented. They were sent out and they shared this vision with the apostles. And if you'll notice in Luke's gospel, the apostles resist that vision at first. There are always those that tell us that our vision of love cannot be true. Easter releases us from the past to see the holy where we never imagined, to see the holy when the world denies it, to proclaim holy when people resist it, and to profess holy in places where people don't believe it should be. Easter challenges us to become people of hope and life, to believe that love is the greatest power in the world, and to let our lives manifest this love, to manifest resurrection in all that we do. It's my hope that all of us gathered here this morning, it's my hope that we may become the eternal optimist, seeing resurrection in a world full of manure. And may we dance with joy as we live into the promise of light and love that God has brought forth. Amen.